Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Realm of the Mist Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. It was an honor to talk with actor, producer, and playwright Billy Van Zant. We talk about way too much for me to describe it to you. You just have to listen, I guess. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 106.9 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter. Or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. Or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. The brutal presence overwhelms me. The brutal presence overwhelms me. The Life Radio Show is now brought to you in part by the Nurses Guild of Florida, experts in home health care. Go to thenursesguild.com for more information. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. All right. Hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are zooming right along for another fun-filled episode. Uh, the past weekend, I got to do more filming, got back on set, and uh, I got to take a beating. I, got, <laughs> I did a fight scene, got my butt kicked, which is nice because I blew my knee out a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it, I think it really helped. It really helped the, the pain of the situation as I was getting my butt handed to me by an actress that probably weighed a third of me. Which is I'm I'm developing a, a phobia for actresses named Erin because Erin R Ryan I've worked with her several times and she has killed me in like four separate movies now. Erin uh, Perez who beat me up this past weekend on a movie set she actually took me out with a sledgehammer the last movie I was in with her so uh, yeah so uh, actresses named Erin are really starting to terrify me. <laughs> uh, my guest has already Zoomed in with me. It's an honor to welcome to the show uh, actor, writer, producer, playwright, probably several other things that I'm missing. Billy Van Zant, welcome to the show, sir. I'm happy to be here, and I promise I won't try and beat you up. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it was it was fun. It was fun trying to do my fight scene while I'm hobbling around on one leg. It was... <laughs> That's why I said she had an unfair advantage. That's how she was able to take me out. That's right. <laughs> which I was the one with the with the weapon, which is even funnier. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about you instead. Well, uh, if, you ins- if you insist while I'm yeah, here. Okay. You know, since I brought you all the way on for this. <laughs> well, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started, because I know Jaws 2 was one of the first films you acted in, but I'm sure you were doing things before that. I started out in uh, community theater, just, just acting. I had no, no connections to show business whatsoever. So I was an actor in community theater. I got an agent and a manager out of New York City through one of the shows I was in. And uh, then I just started going out on the regular auditions. And my very first movie audition was Jaws 2. Oh, and uh, Jaws two uh, kept me going for a couple of years. Uh, we it took us eleven months to film that thing, <laughs> and um, after a couple of uh, sporadic movies, I realized I was not getting the amount of auditions I really wanted to get. So I started writing myself plays to give myself something to act in, <laughs> and then the plays took off and had a life of their own. Brought me out to uh, California to start writing for television. And I made my TV debut with uh, Bob Newhart in the Newhart Show, nice. and uh, I, I've 
been doing it all back and forth between theater on the East Coast and TV on the West Coast. I've been doing that for 150 years. <laughs> well, uh, uh, speaking of, of your plays taking on a life of their own, uh, I always try when I, I'm bringing a guest on to find something that we have in common. And not only did I act in a play you wrote, we also played the same character of Leslie Arthur in Love, Sex, and the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun role. That absolutely was a fun role. Oh, that's good. That's good. That was the very first play we wrote. I was, I think I was 19 years old when I wrote that one. And uh, that's been done. It's, it, it's crazy because, you yes. know, I, I only thought of it as something to do, you know, something to act in. And now it's done all over the world. I just came back uh, last year from Poland seeing it in, uh, in Warsaw in Polish. I had no idea what they were saying, but it was funny. Nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's there a lot of sight gags in that, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, playing Leslie Arthur, I have a, quite a bit of – this was 12 years ago I did this. this so before, was, the, before the beard, I hope. Before the beard, yes. Yeah. Before the, I, I still had the, – there was a 5 o'clock shadow, and I still had quite a bit of chest hair coming out because we were going Perfect. through dresses that I was going to wear, and I found one that was low cut. I was like, I have to wear that with all this yeah, hair. For people who have no idea what we're talking about, the uh, the Leslie character uh, is forced by his roommate to pretend he's his wife because the IRS is coming to investigate, and it's, he turns into the ugliest woman you ever saw. So it sounds like it's, it sounds like it was pretty good. <laughs> yes, I was. I was definitely. I was definitely hideous. But yeah, super fun role and interesting. I just learned that today. Oh, <laughs> and that that we shared that in common, and uh, I was talking about that role earlier because over the past weekend I did some filming, and there's an actor with a little injury on his hand. So I got to joking about different acting injuries I've had over the years, and one of them, as I'm running around as Leslie Arthur in no shoes and a pair of pantyhose. Uh, there was breakaway glass, the sugar glass from when the, the IRS agent had a bottle broken over his head. And I stepped on that and I didn't know as I'm running around on stage, I'm leaving a little red footprint behind me. <laughs> we, we sort of have a, a, an unspoken rule in, uh, in my, uh, it's an unofficial rep company of actors that I use all the time that uh, if, 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 that you ha if you, ha if you don't get scarred in one of our shows, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> That that is true. That one one of my worst. I was uh, Owen Musser in The Foreigner, and I uh, had what was supposed to be a prop knife just cut through three, three fingers, like deep. And oh. I'm doing the rest of the the rest of that scene with blood dripping off my hand. <laughs> I did arsenic and old lace once, and I grabbed the glass. I played the uh, the Jimmy Stewart role, and I grabbed the glass out of the guy who was about to poison himself. And I slapped it down on the table and the glass broke and slit my wrist. Oh. So I was trying to get off stage as fast as I could. And I started cutting dialogue left and right. And the, the two old ladies thought I just didn't know where I was. And they kept bringing me back to the things I'd cut. And it was four times as long to get off stage. <laughs> but I, I eventually did. We wrapped it up and I finished the show. So, I still have the scar. 
Oh yeah, there's so, so many scars from that. Acting <laughs> acting is a dangerous craft. A lot of people don't really realize that. <laughs> our, one of our actors, Glenn Jones, he he got in a car accident. He went to the hospital, and they started doing X-rays, and they came out and they said, "I don't know how to tell you this, but you have a, a thing on your neck over here." He said, "No, oh, no, that's from uh, that's from Love Sex and the IRS." Well, you have a thing on your elbow, and he said, "No, it's not from the accident. That's from Drop Dead." And he went through like 17 different things that were wrong with him, and they were all from my shows. I felt a little little bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a success story, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, of all the things that you've done, as as far as TV and and film and theater, which is which do you prefer over all of them? I usually prefer whichever one I'm not doing which? at the time. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I I absolutely love the theater uh, for a lot of reasons. I love working with the audience, and I love uh, that's where I feel at home, really. Yeah. And um, TV, you're under, you're, especially these days, you're micromanaged a lot by the studios and the networks, and it's frustrating, so you do the best you can, but ultimately, you're not, you don't get the last word a lot of the times. And in, in the theater, luckily, uh, when you write the show, and you produce it, and you act in it, and direct it, you get sort of the last word. No, that's not true. <laughs> the, audience, the audience gets the last word. Uh, yeah. it, took, it took me a little while to learn that, too. I kept, well, our first couple of shows, I kept saying to Jane, uh, why aren't they laughing at this? She said, it's not funny. Take it out of the show. I said, it is funny and they're wrong. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, a couple of performances later, it was like, I think they're right. Take it out. I've always listened to the audience. As soon as they don't like something, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a stand-up comic, I have to, I have to listen to the audience. They are Absolutely. very honest. <laughs> yep. Yep. Cause that's, that's how I started too. be long before I did stand up as I actually started in theater. And that's, that's, that's my first love. So I've, I oh. always enjoy hearing from other actors that prefer the theater. <laughs> yeah. But as yeah, as opposed to just whichever one's paying them at the moment. <laughs> exactly. And I'm hoping we finally get back to live theater because that's yes. uh, scary without it. I'll tell you. Yeah. Now are, are you still doing theater productions? Well, they're in Europe. I mean, not, I mean, not now as far as. Well, now we were doing, um, we were touring uh, our 25th play, which is the Boomer Boys musical. Um, it's about uh, changes that men are of a certain age go through, and it's pretty funny. Four guys, uh, sort of like a rat pack. And um, we were touring for about two years, and then the pandemic hit, so all the, all the shows have been canceled. And we'll start that up again once uh, once the world returns to whatever the world is returning to. But uh, luckily for me, the uh, Europe's got things a little better under wraps than we do, and my my shows in Europe have started up again. Nice. Now you said you you started out doing uh, community theater. Is is acting something that you had always wanted to explore before that? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Okay. There was never anything else I wanted to do. Um, I was influenced very heavily by I Love Lucy, of all things. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a kid, uh, I just thought that was the funniest thing. I still think it's funny, but I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And I really studied the show. I studied Lucille Ball's timing, and I studied the structure of the scripts. So when I started writing, I really, what, what, what little I've learned, I, I, I learned from them to start. Bob Carroll Jr. and Madeline Davis and uh, Bob Weisskopf and Bob Schiller. And uh, I was very lucky uh, uh, a while ago. I finally got to meet Lucille Ball and work with her, and that was a that blew my mind. Um, nice, but it was it was fantastic. So, <laughs> well, yeah, th those that's definitely a good show to learn from as far as writing comedy because it was yeah. 
that that was uh, that was it. That was the it in the day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's even right. even I enjoy some reruns of that every now and then. Yeah, and the, and the, to learn timing from, I think when anybody's starting out, the best thing they can do really is to imitate somebody just when they're starting, until you develop your own style. Um, because by studying and imitating, you hear the you you can hear the you know this from comedy. You hear the rhythm. Mm. Comedy is all about rhythm to me, and uh, and you and you sort of learn why what they're doing is funny. Why is it funnier to face this way instead of that way? You know, um, all the little things that you pick up along the way. And one of the strangest things I picked up from Lucille Ball, which uh, just blew my mind, is she would start her punchlines facing the camera, you know, to the left a little bit, and she'd finish the line facing to the right a little bit in her, in her second show, let's say the Lucy show. And I started imitating that when I, and I, I, I developed that into my style too. And then I came out and I got to work with her and I was watching her work and my mouth hit the floor and her, her assistant came up to me and said, you never saw her rehearse before, did you? I said, no, I never knew she used cue cards. She was reading the line on the left and finishing it on the right. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that explains I've been it. imitating that for 40 years, and I didn't know that. And I don't have cue cards. <laughs> but it worked. That's the good <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's, uh, she was using cue cards during the show. That's... She said, because uh, I, I, you know, I, I was younger and I was a little ballsy. So I would never have asked her this now. I said, when did you start using cue cards? And she got very defensive. She said, I, had a, I was running a studio and had 17 shows on the air at the time. When do you think I had time to learn the line? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. And I, what, I wanted to, what I really wanted to say was, like, you're not producing anything right now. Why don't you learn your line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, force but, a uh, habit. Force a habit at that time. It was great. She was really terrific. She was everything I wanted her to be. She was, she was great. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that, that learning lines is something. That's that's why I haven't done theater in so long. Because I, you know, I'm running a comedy club. I perform stand up comedy. I'm acting in movies. I work a full time job. Yeah. I do this, you know, several nights a week. So yeah, learning lines is uh, even for the movies I'm in. A lot of times I get this. I get to looking at the script like the night before. <laughs> oh, I always panic. Even if I know my lines, I have the script in my hand. The second be right before I make my entrance, it's in my hand. Because I'm afraid I'm going to lose. We just yeah. uh, this two two broad two off Broadway shows ago. We did a show called "You've Got Hate Mail," and it was the story of uh, a divorce told through emails with five mm -hmm. actors and five laptop computers, and the scripts were in the computer. So I did that show for probably five years, and then it came time to do the the new one, the Boomer Boys musical, and I was terrified. It's like I don't have a script to read off of a laptop. I have to learn this, and. Uh, Luckily, I pulled it off because I, I never, because I wrote it. So I wrote it so I never had any segues. It was always, I always had, I had the easy part. I would answer somebody asking me a question. So uh, I didn't have to learn too much. Yeah, that, that's always good because that's, yeah. that's, that is a fear I've always had doing theater is to, to blank. And that's, it, it happened one time in a dress rehearsal and it terrified me. Oh. 
as I, I came out and I think the reason is my aunt, somebody asked me a question and my answer had nothing to do with the question that they asked me <laughs> and they came out with a question and I just totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh man. <laughs> and from that moment on, every time I got to the theater before a show, I would read through the entire script before I went on just every night I'd get there early and I'd read the in, it got to be a weird habit. <laughs> I've worked with a lot of people in TV on my on my TV shows where I, I see them pasting their lines on you know inside coffee cups and all yeah. this sort of thing. Like for the amount of time you're doing all that, learn the lines. <laughs> it's not that tough. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It was sometimes I, I've been on plays where I kind of get the last minute. Somebody asked me to step in for somebody that dropped out. I did that with like a week to rehearse once. So it, it's a bit of a challenge, but I still somehow managed <laughs> i did that one one time i was asked to f uh, drop in and do uh the son's role in, in sunshine boys because somebody's father had died and it was i had one day one day to learn the whole show and i did it and the next day i couldn't remember one line i got through the show but the next day if i had to do it again forget it yeah it's it's weird how you dump all that out of your brain once yeah. you're done with it yeah yeah. And make make room for the next one. <laughs> exactly. You're right. Right. So so when when things finally straighten around, are are you going back to the Boomer Boys? Is that going to yeah. be the production you're going to keep going? Okay. Yeah, we we have a ball with that. It's uh, three three guys I've been friends with for for years. Maybe forty. One guy he was in my kindergarten class, um, and we're still friends a hundred years later. Um, we just have a ball cause we, we change it up every night. We had, you know, we had new jokes. If something's topical, we throw it in and it's a musical. So all this, the songs are hilariously funny and we just have a, we just have a great time and the audiences love it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's nice to have that connection with somebody for that length of time too. Cause I, as I, I was reading in your bio, you and, uh, uh Jane Milmore formed yeah. that writing team and you met in high school during an acting competition. We did. We were together 46 years. She passed away in February. And um, the, we, yeah, we started out, uh, we were in an acting competition and the producer put us into a Neil Simon play that summer, uh, the producer of the theater where the competition was. And we did Star Spangled Girl together. And uh, we did that probably for three years before I went off to do Jaws 2. And uh, we started dating immediately. We broke up. We got back together. We broke up. That went on for 13 years. And then finally, uh, we decided, you know, enough of this. This is ridiculous. And we broke up right as we hit big in TV. And we went, eh, let's suck it up. <laughs> so we stayed together. And uh, so we, 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 we dated. We broke up. We despised each other for a while. We got back together as friends, then best friends, all without missing one single day of work in 46 years. That's... <laughs> That's, that's, yeah, was, that's that's incredible. It was, it was pretty wild, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you've done twenty five plays together. Twenty five plays, and uh, as far as I don't writing, know how many TV shows we did together, but uh, a lot of them. Yeah, we did well, a lot. Well, that's amazing. And yes, then with the, with all the back and forth, that's. <laughs> Yeah, I used uh, to say, you know, some people take some people on the you know you do your TV show maybe nine nine ten months a year. And then when you have a break in the spring, everybody goes to Paris or, you know, Rome and Jane and I would go back to New Jersey and put on a play. That was our, that was our vacation. <laughs> but which 
to me sounds like a great vacation that some people it was it was it was we back back to our hometown and uh, and uh, again all the, the same actors we always use we call them our bands at millmore unofficial rep company and i just call them up you know probably four months before when we started writing whatever play it was all right i need you uh, in may and june what am i playing you'll find out when you get there okay thanks goodbye cool. <laughs> and uh so we, we worked like that uh we went we did that every year with a couple of repeat shows for 30 something years until the last uh couple broad off broadway shows kept us from doing the show locally we would just we were in new york too long but um yeah it was, it was fun i look forward to it every year nice so what are some of you the favorite tv shows that you've worked on uh let's see Newhart was a great way to start i learned a lot from that man uh great man we worked with Don Rickles on a show called Daddy Dearest that I created with uh, Jane for Richard Lewis and Don Rickles. That was short-lived, but it was probably one of the best jobs I ever had. Loved both those guys. Still love Richard. Oh, yeah. uh, in fact, he called me up when, I, when my book came out this uh, last month, whatever it was. He called me up and said, I'm so excited. I just, I just bought your book. I can't wait to read it. And I thought, oh, thanks. You know, I hung up the phone. And I thought, what did I say about him in the book? <laughs> so I had immediately pulled it down and kept, you know, it's like, oh, thank God, I'm okay, I'm okay. Because I, I do talk about a lot of people in this book about the TV shows. But he came off good because I enjoyed working with him. Um, what else did we work on that I liked? Um, we, a show that I, I re, uh, we did Martin, we did the first season of Martin, and we developed, uh, uh, they called us up to do uh, Martin. I said, hey, you want to do a show for Martin Lawrence? And I had never heard of the comedian Martin Lawrence. But in California, there are a string of galleries in malls called the Martin Lawrence Galleries. I thought they wanted us to write a show about an art gallery. <laughs> so we, you know, we met and found out who he was and were blown away by him. Um, that was difficult to work with him, but, um, but it, was a, it was a great experience. And I will say, most of the people we've worked with have been stand-up comedians. Yeah. And um, uh, everybody well, says, yeah, you know, how, how tough Richard, is that? Said, Richard Lewis and, and uh, Don Rickles are two of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, and, and we did a show for Andrew Dice Clay um, and uh, the Wayans Brothers, and I'm blanking on everybody I work with now. But, um, <laughs> but I always, people say, you know, how, how, is, how is that working with stand-up comedians? I said, well, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a trust factor you have to earn because these guys or ladies have been do, had they've been their own writer director right. producer for 10 years probably before i've gotten them and now suddenly i'm telling telling them i know you've been doing this for 10 years but now i'm in charge and i'm going right. to tell you what's funny and what's not funny it's uh there's a very delicate uh, thing you got to work through there and if yeah. you're a smart producer if you're a smart writer you listen to these guys because they know why they're funny. They, you know, uh, it's easy for me to watch somebody's act and and decide what's what what would make a good TV show from their act. But ultimately, they're the comedian, not me. You know, right. and and you got to remember that. Well, yeah, and it's their audience. That's it's their audience that's going to yeah. watch it mostly. Yeah. So yeah, that's that that would be interesting to write jokes for a comedian who's. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, I know it on the Newhart show when we because Bob's famous for his long pauses and all that sort of thing. Some of the writers were were putting the pauses into the dialogue and they put dot 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 between. And he he was very polite, but he came up to everybody and uh, excuse me, I know how to do my job. Just write the words. It's like okay, and we took the dots out. That's funny. Yeah, he knew where his pauses were. Yeah, yeah he knew what he was doing. Yeah. 
Yep, that was his timing. Mm -hmm. And also with him, which was great, is he refused to let us change the script. And we would do a Monday to Friday uh, shoot. You'd read the script with the actors on Monday, you'd shoot it on Friday. After Wednesday, we were not allowed to change the script. He said, you've had eight weeks to, to, to tinker with the scripts. Give me at least two days with something that isn't changing. Right. And it was great. And, and he wouldn't work with a laugh track. He said, nice. if the audience doesn't think it's funny and the people at home aren't stupid, they'll know it's not funny because of the joke. They're work. Don't worry about it. And, so, and, and we had a standing 9 o'clock reservation for him to have dinner down the street. And we'd start shooting the show at 7 o'clock on a Friday night. Most shows work till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. He started at 7 o'clock, and he had to make his dinner reservation at 9 o'clock. One take, each scene, and move on. And it's as good as anything you, you, if you had stayed there all night. It, it, you wouldn't have made it any better than, than the one take show we did. Well, yeah, that, that, that makes it quick and easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the next show we worked on was Anything But Love with Jamie Lee Curtis, and, and the, the producer kept doing three, four takes of every scene, and I kept thinking, but the audience is sitting there. They're getting bored. Come on. Yeah. Why are you doing so many takes? He said, they're better on the fourth take. I said, that's because you give them four takes. <laughs> give them one take. They'll, they'll build it. You know, they'll, they'll be fine. Yeah. But, so any show that Jane and I have been in charge of, one take and move on. I don't, I don't, I don't. Well, if, yeah, if you have a live studio audience, it's, it's going to make more sense not to do several takes because they're, they're, you know, they're yeah. bored with Yeah, and, and I will say Martin Lawrence worked the same way. <laughs> People laugh at me for this. I said, Bob Newhart and Martin Lawrence worked the same way. And they said, you're kidding. I said, well, Bob didn't say, like, right. I say words on this thing. Uh, well, it goes out over the radio. So oh, okay. Well, <laughs> let's just say uh, Bob didn't have uh, Bob cleaned up his language a little right. more. Right, wasn't as colorful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, can't, I can't imagine Bob Newhart saying some of the stuff that Mark. Nah. <laughs> no, a different show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but working with comedians is. Uh, there, there are a lot of. Uh, I work with too many of them as a comedian, and it's uh, it can sometimes be tricky. <laughs> yeah, I've always. It's funny that world has always fascinated me. I, I probably forty years ago, I probably should have done it, and uh, I don't know why I didn't. But I love that world. I love I love comedians, and uh, we eventually wrote a play called A Little Quickie, where I played a stand-up comedian just so I could get it out of my system a little bit. And uh, boy, I, I just love it. Uh, and every year we, we we haven't done it recently, but every year we'd go to the comedy store to figure out who we're going to write for this year. You know? And oh, nice. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll know them. Hopefully, it'll be somebody I've worked with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it, if if comedy comes back too, just like theater, if comedy comes back too, exactly. we we have a couple of open mics creeping in now and then through COVID. I actually, I'm going to be on stage my first time since January uh, this Friday. I got a show in Xenia in a parking lot. Wow! <laughs> for social wow. distancing. So no, that's fantastic. That's great. So I know a lot of the theaters out here in California, and I don't know how they're supposed to survive. They're taking out seats in their theater, and they're 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 pretty much uh, it's going to be a thirty percent capacity. And I yeah. keep, you know I don't know any theater that survives on thirty percent capacity, but that's what they're starting with out here. Yeah, oh, that's that's where Wiley's is right now, and uh, I always make the joke that we were doing that before it was the cool thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
<laughs> it's it's tricky for for comedy clubs to survive nowadays. I think. Yeah. But well, comedy in general has changed a lot. Not even with COVID. Even before that, it's you know too too much uh, too much offending people. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to me, that that's part of comedy. You have to see where those limits are a little bit, and the job of comedy is to, I guess, comfortably push you up to them. <laughs> yeah, I and I, I find I've when I was really studying it, I realized there are two two kinds of acts. One where the it almost doesn't matter if the audience is there. Phyllis Diller would do the same act whether you were in the audience or not. That was one joke, one joke. And then there are people that, that deal with the audience all the time, and it just it fascinates me to see who I'm going to see and which one of the, which one of these guys they're going to be. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Audience work is always a lot tricky. <laughs> I I have never developed quite a knack for that. Oh. I I try to stick with what I have and go forward from there. Mm-hmm. But, well, I, I think if you're ready for a little break, we'll take a little break. I'll get a, get some water and I'll come back and we will, uh, we'll talk about some crazy news stories and see what kind of trouble we can get into there. Sound good? Very good. Thanks. All right. Well, we'll be right back on the live radio show with more from uh, Billy Van Zant. Don't go away. Um, oh, hello and uh, welcome to the, to this presentation. So, there's a lot of people who ask me, hey, how do I not get sucked in to the negativity of other people? Well, the first thing you have to understand is that there are people who thrive on everything uh, being sucky. And so, like, with everything being sucky, like, they, they act like they're not happy and they're just really always down and stuff and, and they're always talking about how horrible and crappy everything is. And the reason is because is uh, uh, their lives suck. And they probably suck for quite a while and now that everything's sucking for everybody else, they think it's pretty cool that everybody else is sucking. And so they want to keep the sucking going because as long as everybody else's lives are sucking, then their life isn't sucking is bad because their sucking isn't their fault the sucking it's like everybody else's fault because the world you know sucks and so they so they want everything to be miserable and mad about everything all the time anyway so so they just kind of like enjoying the suckiness the suckiness of the situation but the key to being you're happy with yourself is you just don't let their uh, suckiness suck you into their sucky way of seeing all the suckiness that's going on so if you just stop you know, hanging out with a, so you, you can be, you know, they don't want you to be positive. You just say, well, I'm just, you know, I got, that's some other stuff I'm going to go do and stuff and instead of getting caught up in your craziness and your suckiness. And, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to say, hey, maybe you're the problem because they don't think they're the problem because then if they were the problem, well, then they'd have to accept responsibility for their life sucking other than just all the other suckiness of the suckiness. So you should worry about the suckiness in your own life and stop that suckiness, but all the other world sucky stuff that you don't have anything to do anything with, you know, well, you don't need to let that get you down. Or these other people that suck. Okay, that's... 
You served your country with honor and now are trying to pry health care from the Veterans Administration. Did you know that Congress recently made changes to allow vets to get care outside of the VA services? The Nurses Guild of Florida is owned and operated by a Vietnam-era vet who knows how difficult it is to return to civilian life. Why not get your home health services from a five-star Medicare home health agency, the experts at home care, the Nurses Guild? Rather than wait in lines for care, the Nurses Guild will provide care to you in the comfort of your own home. PTSD, IV therapy, wound care, or post-amputation therapy, no matter your diagnosis, we can help. A nurse will be assigned to you, visit you at home to assess your needs, and work directly with you to develop a personalized plan of care. Here at the Nurses Guild, we have nurses from every specialty, so no matter your diagnosis, we have the right caregiver for you. The nurses, therapists, and home health team of the Nurses Guild is ready to serve you. All of our essential health care workers are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 for Broward County and 561-826-8937 for Palm Beach County. Remember, health care put off is health care too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask. Wash your hands frequently and stay home as much as possible. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Chris Ristali of Breaking the Fourth Wall. If you enjoy our show, you can find it on YouTube. Just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment or just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. And also you can find us on all the social medias. Just look for Realm of the Mist Entertainment. And I will catch you on the other side. Hey, this is Don Smith. I want to take a minute to tell you about The Devil's Apple, a new book by my friend William Morris. It's the true and brutally honest story about Bill's own battle with addiction. It was written for those struggling to overcome addiction as well as those watching a loved one struggle. In Bill's own words, you work just as hard to be an addict as you do to be clean and sober. You can find The Devil's Apple on Amazon.com and for a limited time you can get it for free on the Kindle app. Today we're teaching poodles how to fly. Come here. Come here, Foofy. Are you psyched? Are you ready? Okay. Here we go. Get ready and fly! Oh, man. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. Uh, I'm still your host, and we're still here with Billy Van Zant, And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about his book a little bit before we hit the news stories, because, you know, we've got to cover the important things first. Exactly. <laughs> then we'll get to the silly stuff. So <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about your book. The book is called Get in the Car, Jane, Adventures in the TV Wasteland. It is a collection of uh, stories of all the TV shows Jane and I uh, wrote for, produced, created. Um, and every chapter is a different TV show that we worked on. And it, uh, it, it started out, uh, really, I was I, I wanted to write something where my kids understood what I did at the office all day because they, they knew my plays because they'd come to the rehearsals and see the process, but they didn't know how the TV shows worked. So I started writing this for them, and then it took off and had a life of its own. And uh, the response has been really, really great. Uh, surprisingly, I, <laughs> I got up to number one on uh, Amazon for a brief moment, uh, which was fantastic. Nice. And uh, the response has been great. So uh, it makes a good beach read or a pandemic read in these days, I guess. Yeah. And um, 
uh, it, it's been fun. Everybody will, everybody will enjoy it, I think. Well, yeah, working with a lot of comedians, there's bound to be some good stories in there. So, <laughs> yeah, I I I, uh, I pull I pull a few punches, but not many. <laughs> not many. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely have to check that. Out. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, are we re- are we ready for some news stories? Let's do it. All right, let's let's see what kind of silliness we got here. And just so you know, I'm pulling these up and looking at them for the first time too. So. They okay. might be duds, but usually we make some. We make something good out of them. <laughs> okay, all right. Hopefully, anyway. Uh, an Iowa woman said her kitten bears a strong resemblance to her old cat for a very good reason. He's a clone. Uh, the Cedar Rapids woman, who wanted to remain anonymous, said she decided before the death of her cat, Mr. Tufts, uh, uh, that she wanted to have the feline cloned. I had never had such a wonderful creature. It was harder losing him than any other cat I've ever had, the woman said. Uh, living tissue samples were collected by dogs. She cloned her cat. I didn't know that was legal yet. I uh, immediately go to Pet Cemetery when I hear that story. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm kind of thinking here. They, they collected tissue samples and sent to the Cedar Valley Veterinary Center in Cedar Falls and sent along to Viagen Pets. I've seen too many movies. This does not have a good ending. Yeah, (laughs) have a good ending. (laughs) Yep, Stephen King is going to write about this again. This will be. I guess they did a Pet Cemetery Part Two. This will be Part Three. Part Three. Yeah, Yeah. that's when (laughs) something's going to go terribly wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the firm has cloned dogs, cats, and horses in the past, and recently made headlines for cloning an endangered Przewalski's horse for the San Diego Zoo. So wow. apparently, yeah, apparently there there are all kinds of clones running around. We didn't even know it. <laughs> I really didn't know that. I knew I know they did did mice. That's pretty much all I knew about. Yeah, horses. <laughs> horses. They did a a Przewalski's horse. I, that is. So they, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's this might be a little frightening if we. <laughs> so they come out. So if it's a male, it, it's 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 still a male. If it's a male, I guess, or is it uh, is it nothing? Yeah, I don't know. Do, do they clone? Do they? Uh, uh, man, we would have to read so much into this to get to that point to learn whether or not they. I know, right? They. Wow. <laughs> oh. So, so if they're doing that and they've done that much, are humans that far behind? I don't think so. It, it says when we produce a clone, it's an identical twin. There is zero genetic modification occurring. So I'm assuming a wow. male's a male and fully ready to go. So, jeez, I don't know. That's well, that's a little yeah. creepy. That's a. <laughs> well, kids, if something happens to me, don't get any ideas because uh, I don't want to. I don't want to be cloned. You you don't want to do this all again. No, no. Oh, let's see what else we got here. A Maryland woman fulfilled a lifelong dream by going skydiving for the first time in her life at the age of 102. Vivian Millie Bailey, 102, a World War II veteran, uh, being featured on the American Heroes channel Honor Flight Heroes, was asked by producers if there was a bucket list item she had never crossed off. Bailey's answer was that she had been thinking for a long time about skydiving. She said she was inspired by President George H.W. Bush going skydiving when he was 90 years old. I was inspired by the fact he did it, Bailey said, the fact that a person that age could do the jump, and she was 102. Did did she land? 
I, I, well, she, she's talking about it after the fact. So I guess she, okay. did. I guess she landed. She said it was wonderful. It was a real thrill. It scared me for one minute. It felt like I was tumbling. And then I thought somebody's holding on to me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a tandem jump. It wasn't all by herself. That well, was, I would hope so. Jeez. Yeah. That would, that would have probably been a little, a little trickier. <laughs> I just hope she knew what she was doing when she did it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it was good. It was a tandem jump. They didn't just throw her out of a plane by herself. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> be bad. Wow. No, I have no desire to ever do that. Have you done that? I have not. I have not. I don't know that I would. It's, you know, I'd, if I was 102, I might say to heck with it, why not? <laughs> but, Maybe if uh, I was terminal or something. Right. <laughs> right. Let's do all the stuff we wanted to do. But Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a possibility. Uh, bungling burglar who uh, bungling burglar who left behind a uh, a rucksack containing his name and address at the scene of a crime has been jailed for four years. Uh, Malcolm Pike, 43, broke into a garage in East Harrington, Sunderland, and stole 150 pounds of cleaning equipment uh, dollars, uh, British pounds. Oh, I get confused when I hit these British articles and it's like, that's a lot of cleaning equipment. Uh, As he was making his getaway, he accidentally left behind a bag containing letters bearing both his name and address. Uh, This information helped lead police officers to his home. I like how they put that. It helped lead police officers Uh, to his home. They could, they still needed a little bit of extra to find it. (laughs) Yeah. They called in the, they called in the mailman said, where's this place? (laughs) <laughs> and it was the, the cleanest house on the block, I guess. <laughs> yep, they, they led the, the letters led the officers to the home where the stolen equipment had been left out in the open. <laughs> oh, man. I think this guy wanted to get caught. He's four, They need to keep years? an eye on him. He got four years for that. Four years. I, I think that I think that was part of he's He's busting somebody out. He's part of a more elaborate plan. Yeah. To yeah. bust somebody. He, he's going to jail on purpose for that, but... Uh, Oh, that's gotta, yeah. Detective yeah, that's... Detective Sergeant Rapersmith, Chris Rapersmith said, <laughs> "What a name!" Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> you a blacksmith? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> uh, Malcolm Pike is a prolific thief who has con- consistently proven a disregard for the law and the welfare of others. Apparently. Apparently not. He was helping you out. <laughs> wow. Malcolm Pike. I like the name. I may use that in something. Yeah. But, but what about Raper Smith? You're not going to use that? <laughs> well, people would think that was too much. <laughs> That's totally understandable. Name. That's not a real name at all. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I think that one is made up. That's very fictitious. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> Just avoid the raper smiths at all costs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a woman found a rare uh, two-headed snake in her sunroom and has found a new home for the reptile. Uh, Jeannie Wilson from Alexander County, North Carolina, was stunned when it slithered into view while she was cleaning. She said, I saw something in the corner of my eye, and I said, Lord, that's a snake. (laughs) The first thing I thought was, oh, gosh, something has stepped on you and mashed your head. (laughs) Such such concern for the snake. That kind of warms my heart a little bit. North Carolina, (laughs) this is, huh? However, she soon realized it had two heads and nicknamed it Double Trouble. 
Uh, the species is yet to be uh, officially identified, but it was believed to be a baby rat snake. So it was harmless. It was a harmless baby rat snake. Just had two heads. Well, it, they sh- apparently that's a cloning have gone wrong, I guess. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's what happens every now and then. That, and usually they put those ones down right away, but this one <laughs> made it out and got all the way to North Carolina. <laughs> and found the most polite woman in the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, something stepped on your head. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, that's it's the very polite North Carolina. That's Gotta right. love it. Gotta love it. If I'm if I'm ever a two headed snake, that's where I'm heading. <laughs> if, if I if I get brought back. <laughs> <laughs> as a two-headed snake accidentally through a cloning accident then, there you go uh, yeah I'm, I'm heading straight to north carolina <laughs> oh wow political ads popping up uh, <laughs> a tennessee rapper who boasted in a music video about getting rich from committing unemployment fraud has been arrested in los angeles <laughs> uh frontel Ant- antonio baines 31 was arrested friday on three felony counts of access device fraud, aggravated identity theft, and interstate transportation of stolen property. Uh, Baines, who is known online as Nuke Bizzle, uh, faces up to tw- <laughs> faces up to twenty-two years in federal prison. <laughs> Are you going to use that name? And <laughs> uh, Nuke Bizzle and the Raper Smith. Uh, one of my shows, I rewrote uh, a show, Drop Dead, uh, where I changed the producer's name to a, a, a hip-hop producer, and uh, I called him Piggy Banks. And, and my, my, my kids thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Well, now my other, one of my sons is a music producer, and he just produced a, a song for uh, Ty Dolla Sign. So <laughs> I, it's, the, it's the same name I have, Piggy Banks, Ty Dolla Sign. That's you know, that's uh, very close. Yeah, they, yeah. You could, I don't I don't know if it's close enough to sue for infringement. No, no. Pretty close. <laughs> I love uh, the names. Well, that's a that's not a very bright guy. This, uh, this no, guy. just bragging about it, and there you go. Uh, federal prosecutors say that Baines and his co-conspirators fraudulently obtained at least ninety-two debit cards preloaded with more than one point two million dollars. Wow. wow. Yeah, Nuke, Nuke Bizzle's going away for a while now. <laughs> well, that, in a horrible way, that's kind of impressive. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're going to go, go big, I guess. So. <laughs> go big or go to prison. I <laughs> they were unemployment debit cards. Yeah, that's what they do in California. Yeah. They give you a debit card. It's very weird. Wow. That, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. It's uh, I think they're doing that here now too. But hopefully, I hopefully I don't have to find out anytime know, soon. Right? <laughs> exactly. Ask me again next year. We'll see right. You never know what's going to happen. But <laughs> so far, I'm okay. Yeah. Oh, let's see. This is always this is always fun. Uh, <laughs> a key ally of Brazil's president has been arrested after anti-corruption officers discovered a wad of banknotes in the underpants he was wearing. Uh, but, <laughs> but, how, do you, how do you discover that, by the way? <laughs> That's a thorough search. Right? <laughs> oh, oh. 
uh, police initially found 10,000 uh, reais, uh, which is, uh, well, again, this is a British newspaper. It's about uh, 1,380 pounds plus 4,650 pounds inside a safe in Senator Chico Rodriguez's house uh, on in a search on Wednesday. He then asked if he could go to the bathroom, and according to a police report, an officer noticed a large rectangular bulge under the senator's shorts as he walked <laughs> off. Uh, found inside his underwear uh, near his buttocks were a stack of money totaling uh, 2,000 pounds, uh, 15,000 of whatever their dollar is pronounced, reyes or something like that. Oh. If you're going to do that, you, you have to establish up front you have a colostomy. Right. <laughs> right. That's just, just, that way you can just tuck it in your shirt pocket. The only way you can it. get away with that. That's, yeah. wow. Yeah, nobody's going to search your buttocks if you tell them you got a colostomy because <laughs> they figure there's nothing there to, to go for. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wow. When asked a further three times whether he had any additional cash stowed in his underpants, the senator angrily shoved his hand into his underwear and retrieved more stacks of bills. (laughs) 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 Apparently, they're like clown underwear. You just keep pulling money up. That's great. (laughs) I wonder if you can get those on Amazon. (laughs) That is really funny. That is really funny. Uh, Yeah. I love that one. That's that's one of my new favorites now. <laughs> wow. I have several weird favorites and that's yeah, that's that's a new one. That's sometimes you just sometimes you just gotta hide your money wherever you get a chance. That's exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Forget okay. under the mattress. Forget under the mattress. Now go for the right. underwear. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I hope he was a big guy. He had a lot of a lot of room in that underwear. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he had just lost a lot of weight and was still had had the old clothes. Right, right. Still had the baggy underwear. He hadn't yeah. yet, hadn't yet bought new stuff. That's because <laughs> you, you got to make sure the weight's going to stay off first before right. you go out and buy new underwear. <laughs> back, so you have to, you know. Yeah, especially with COVID, everything can just come flooding right back on. You know? <laughs> Getting that lockdown, you gain that COVID-15, you know, you, next thing you know, you're going to need the bigger underwear back. You can't, as, you can't fit nearly as much money in there. <laughs> All right, well, since, you're, since your first movie was Jaws 2, we'll, we'll cover this uh, news story about a shark. Okay. A fisherman recently caught a two-headed baby shark off India's uh, Maharashtra uh, coast and tossed it back into the water. <laughs> Why? <laughs> but not before taking photos of the rare find. Uh, we do not eat such small fish, especially sharks. So I thought it was strange, but decided to throw it in anyway, uh, said Nitin Patil. Uh, a fellow fisherman, uh, Umesh Palakar, I love the name. Somehow I'm getting through them, I guess. But uh, said, we have never seen anything like this before. Biologists checked out the images of the six-inch fish and determined it was either a spade-nose or sharp-nose shark, uh, according to uh, the news outlet. Uh, The two-headed mutations have uh, become more common, especially with cloning. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And the odd thing is it it, it went into the water and went straight to North Carolina, I guess. He's looking for his buddy. <laughs> Double trouble uh, has a brother now. Yep, yep, yep. Wow. Double double jeopardy. Would double be, jeopardy. Yep, okay. Double trouble and double jeopardy. That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, that's all the way from India to North Carolina. <laughs> so our records show that double-headed sharks are very rarely reported along the Indian coast, said a scientist from the Central Marine Fisheries Research Institute. Uh, yeah, anomalies can show up in freshwater fish as well. A lake trout within with two mouths was caught in 2019. It's just what are they two of everything. The water over there? Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> wow. Yeah, there's just everything's coming out with two of everything. It's uh, I don't know. It's, it's a new world. It's a new world. If you if you don't have two of everything, you're not going to make it. I guess <laughs> <laughs> we're just cloning everything for double. That's yeah. It's two for one. Wow. <laughs> All right, we'll hit one more. <laughs> we'll hit one more just because it has to do with a lot of meth, and that's. You know, you never know where that's going to end up. U.S. Customs and Border Protection just made its second largest methamphetamine bust in the agency agency's history. Officers recently seized 3,100 pounds of meth in San Diego, worth $7.2 million. Uh, CBP uh, Customs and Border Protection announced this week that Border Patrol officers seized more than 3,100 pounds of methamphetamine, fentanyl powder, fentanyl pills, and heroin. At the Ote Mesa uh, commercial facility on Friday morning, smugglers will try every way possible and try to get, will try every way possible and try to get their uh, product across the border. And because of the partnership between CPB, CBP, Homeland Security Investigations, and the DEA, this significant seizure occurred and we stopped them. That's a, that's a lot of meth. Wow. So you need a very large pair of underwear for that. Yeah. And it looks like everything's just crammed in the back of one truck. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, a dog, a dog, a dog alerted to him, alerted him to the truck in a park that parked at the dock. So good wow. thing. Good thing for those drug dogs. They figured him out. They are. They're pretty good. Those things. Yeah. And they, they disguised them as medical supplies. So yeah, they're, they're getting very tricky. Wow. Wow. And there are boxes and boxes of that stuff. That that's crazy. What do they do with the stuff once they get it? Yeah, I break it into smaller pieces and sell it. I would imagine. No, I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't mean them. I mean. Oh, you mean the, you mean the, 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 probably the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. They have one hell of a party. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I, it, it kind of makes you wonder because that's a lot. That's a lot to try to get rid of. Yeah. I, they hold it in an evidence locker forever, I guess. Or they burn it or something. Or, right? Yeah, or they burn it or they, uh, like I said, they, they might have a big party. Well, another <laughs> episode of Narcos, I guess, is coming up. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm going to give you a couple minutes right now. If you have any social media you want to put out there and, of course, push the book again, I'm going to give you a couple minutes for anything else that you want to promote. Go right ahead. It is your time now. <laughs> well, thank you. I will uh, I'll definitely I'll push my book, uh, Get in the Car, Jane, Adventures in the TV Wasteland, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And uh, if you get it, you like it, and you can review it for me, that would be fantastic. Uh, what else? Uh, Boomer Boys, the musical, if we, uh, when the world comes back to normal, you'll see me doing that around the world. And uh, on the 23rd, my brother and Bruce Springsteen have their uh, their new album, Letter to You, coming out, which is uh, going to be hmm. phenomenal. And um, that's all I got. Oh, I mean, and of course, my son's my son's uh, 
uh, Ty Dolla Sign, Nicki Minaj song, uh, Expensive. That's the new one. Right. You, you said your brother and Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, my brother's an E Street band. Oh, Steven okay. Oh, Steven. And, wow. um, yeah, Jersey, we're all Jersey guys, you know. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a small uh, state. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. We all look out for each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of you makes it, you're all going. That's, that's it. We're that's, all that's, a, that's a great way to, that's a great way to look at it. Just, <laughs> I'm taking you all with me, guys. Let's do this. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been great talking to you. And uh, uh, thank you for all the wonderful work you've done over the years. And, uh, thank you, Don. Enjoyed, enjoyed doing this with you. All right. Awesome. Well, Again, thank you. Have a great night. Uh, thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Uh, like I keep telling you guys, if you're going to keep listening to me, I'm just going to keep doing these. All right. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. Detective Sergeant Rapersmith.